Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gnomecast, your weekly feel-good podcast with more aquatic-based adventures, chapters of Peter and various other critters, more video game discussions, and analysis of a TV show that I absolutely adore, and I think that's about it. That's right, this week we read chapters six and seven, I think, of Peter and Wendy? Pretty sure that's right. Um, I went on my first adventure in a kayak, and we're going to get into that a little later on. It gets... We we go some places. And I talk about my Pokemon Nuzlocke adventures, and I talk about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which you can watch on Netflix right now. It's really good. Uh, and I think that's... I think that's it. There might be something else. This week's podcast. There's been there's been lots of bits recorded um, over the last couple of couple of days. I like to record bits when I have a good idea. I just like to sit down and crank it out. So it's been a minute for a lot of this stuff. But if you enjoy the Going Cast and would like to support the Going Cast, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash going upcast, where becoming a five dollar patron gives you access to the monthly live streams, which I'm pretty sure are gonna have to become bi-monthly live streams if we're gonna actually like do stuff in it, especially finishing the Minecraft house, which I haven't touched since the last one. Um, you can also send me an email, goingcast@gmail.com, about anything you'd like to share, any shows you've watched that make you happy, any music you've been listening to, any movies, anything like that. We can always do some discussioning on that kind of stuff. Any video games you've been playing. I know GTA V just became free, so that's kind of cool. I already have it, but it's free, so yeah, it's fun. So much fun. Um, yeah, I think I'll just about do it for, for my stuff. Oh, um, with the kayaking uh, adventure, if you want to see some pictures, you can see it at goomcast.com forward slash blog. They'll be on there, but they are being linked directly from my Instagram feed, which you can find at goingupcast on Instagram. And you can find all the audiobook chapters of goingupcast. It is just your one-stop shop for all of my audio creations. That's enough of hearing me talk. Let's move on to the next time you guys are going to hear me talk in about, oh, I don't know, six seconds. So, last week we went to Kichalis Lake, and that was awesome and a lot of fun. But one of the things I was thinking about when I was at the lake was there was that island. There was that island just kind of floating out there in the middle of the lake. Well, not floating, but it was out there in the middle of the lake. And there was this gorgeous little island, and I'm like... God, I wish I had the ability to get out there. And I may have mentioned it in the actual podcast, but um, one thing I've wanted for a really long time was a boat, like a kayak or a canoe or something that I could bring with me on these journeys to all these amazing lakes and just kind of strike out on the water and get some really cool, fun shots like that. But the problem is, is like kayaks are really expensive and they're big and they're cumbersome. Um, and I suppose I could have gotten like a, a rack for my car because it is a Subaru and it has the, the things on it. I could s- strap down the kayak and like drive to various locations. But that doesn't give me a lot of wiggle room in terms of like if I needed a hike somewhere, I can't hike through the woods carrying a giant kayak. That'd be absurd. So what I ended up looking into were inflatable kayaks. And I was finger on the button on Amazon with this like $80 one. And then um, I decided to swing by Costco because I knew Costco had like life jackets and stuff like that. And I wanted to try the life jacket on before I bought it because you need a life jacket when you're doing stuff like this. And what I ended up doing was they had an inflatable kayak at Costco. And what I enjoyed about that was I was able to like kind of mess with it because they had one demoed just like out in the open. And 
I ended up getting that one. And the reason I got that one was, uh, there was a couple reasons. One, it was right there. And two, um, it had this protective, um, I don't know the, the material, but it has a, a skin basically around the inflatable parts uh, to add protection from like, you know, rocks and a, an extra layer of puncturing uh, protection that the, uh, the one on Amazon didn't have. The one on Amazon was basically a glorified pool toy um, in comparison, this one uh, seems a bit more uh, legitimate, and it has like storage areas for all your shit and a couple of other nifty things that I'm a really big fan of, like a spray cover and bungee cords and all sorts of fun shit like that. So I got that, and one of the things that I'm going to be doing moving forward with all of the travel stuff is my my hope is that I encourage you guys to explore the natural world around where you live because there's a lot of beauty in this world and you kind of have to go out there and explore and find it but i also want to kind of instill some some like good principles in all of us when we're doing these travels like i don't want to get into a situation where i tell you guys about like this amazing lake that i went to visit only to have like a bunch of people show up to the lake and kind of ruin the natural beauty of it uh, so we are gonna, you know, I really want my travels around the, the state and the world and stuff like that to emphasize, I've come up with three key principles and they're the probably things that you've heard many times over and over again, but I'm just going to reiterate them here. Number one, what you bring in, you bring out. So you pack in, pack out. We don't leave anything behind. There's no trash. There's no like remainings. We're, you know, we're not leaving anything behind and I've extrapolated that into ensuring that anything I do to make sure that I am safe um, won't hurt the natural environment. So I got like biodegradable sunscreen. So I'm not leaving like chemical residue. Like that's kind of level of, of care that I'm taking to ensure that nothing bad has happened. I've washed my inflatable kayak to ensure that there wasn't any like chemical stuff left on it that when it hits the water might harm an animal. So nothing like that. That's all a-okay. Um, two, I am a big proponent of leaving with nothing but memories. Like, um, if you find like a really cool rock, take a picture of it and leave the rock. You know, those sorts of things. And number three, it is always important to have everything you fucking need. So go prepared is basically where I'm at. Because like, I have the kayak, I have the life jacket, but I've ordered a bunch of other shit to ensure that everything that could have been thought of to, in order to make sure that I come back alive has been thought of. So, like, I've got the biodegradable sunscreen. I've got the stuff to repair my skin, the aloe vera, if I do get sunburned. I have holders for my glasses so that if I capsize, they don't fall to the bottom of the lake. I've got a dry bag for my phone. I've got a waterproof bag for my phone. I've got all of these fucking things to ensure that I and all of my stuff that I bring out with me comes back with me so those are those are my my tenants you know i, I want to make sure that when we go to these amazing awesome places in nature it is as amazing and awesome for the next people that go you know like if you go to a beach and it's famous for having amazing shells and then you just take all the shells then it's just a beach you know you gotta yeah leave the shit there for everybody else to explore at least that's that's my viewpoint so moving forward we will now have the ability to, or I'll have the ability to um, explore these amazing lakes from the water, from the surface. Uh, the kayak folds up into a backpack and I have my hydration backpack that I'm basically gonna wear on my, the front of my chest 
and in that backpack is going to have like food and the water canteen will be full and all that stuff and sunscreen and all that shit is going to be in the water backpack and I'm just going to carry both going into these locations. Most of the lakes I visit naturally are just like right there next to the parking lot so I don't have to pack very far but it is important to understand that if I did need to pack in I could you know I would have like my life jacket and everything strapped to the the kayak or everything else is in the pack with me and then I just hike in set up kayak kayak and tear down the kayak pack out that kind of stuff so I now have this avenue of adventuring available to us and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun and I do intend to visit a lot of these locations in uh, the off-peak seasons um, it's fun because in Washington no matter the time of year it could be 90 degrees outside that water is still gonna freeze your skin off it's gonna be cold and it's gonna stay cold so having a kayak with a splash screen helping protect and keep me warm basically will uh will be nice for sure I think um, but I'm very excited and I, I hope that if you guys do go out and explore the natural world like I hope you do because it's amazing you, you go with uh with the right mindset you're there to witness not to damage not to remove nothing like that we are we are travelers in these in these excursions and are visiting these amazing locations but it should stay an amazing location so that's, I, I don't mean to be preachy but I just want to ensure that we have the foundation of travel etiquette firm in all of our minds um, before this this stuff really gets going if that makes sense because now that I have the kayak oh boy the windows the doors are open this, this is a world that I need to paddle in, and I'm very excited. I am exhausted. And the reason I am exhausted is because I took my kayak out on its maiden voyage. And unlike doing a lake or a pond, you know, something nice and calm, I kind of went straight for it and went out to Deception Pass, specifically Rosario Beach, and did some sea kayaking in my inflatable boat, which on paper sounded like a terrible idea, but I'm happy to report that since I'm actually here, uh, it worked out totally fine. The boat maintained its um, air pressure throughout the entire voyage. Uh, the kind of cover over the top of it that went across like my whole lower body uh, to keep me dry absolutely did it handled marvelously on the waves i think unlike uh an actual kayak with its rigidity going over waves or to be a lot more bobbing because of the flexible nature of the boat i think it actually lends itself to being sturdier on the water easier um that being said it doesn't cut through the waves as quickly as a hard-shelled kayak would so you can't really build up um incredible speeds but it does the job marvelously well it's a little difficult to steer um that could be because i think the rudder is bent out of shape so like there was a lot more paddling on the right hand side than there was on the left hand side so hopefully i can kind of straighten out the rudder uh before my next my next trip but yeah went to rosario beach um i paddled around uh like kind of a rocky outcropping a good way out from the beach saw some neat birds including a oh what the hell was it a black guillemot and a lot of oyster catchers um saw some of those apparently there were sea lions around i did not see any sea lions which is good because sea lions would have ripped my boat to shreds and that would have been bad so i did not encounter any sea lions um and then i went back into shore for a little bit of a break then paddled back out 
went around some uh, another land outcropping, landed on a different beach, took a little break, paddled back out, all the way out to an island, which I promised myself I'd look up the name of it before talking to you guys. I didn't do that. Um, I'm doing that now. Okay. Do, 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 do. Got it. So, it was a Rosario Beach. Uh, I think it might have been Deception Island. Yeah. It is Deception Island. That is the that is the island I paddled out to. So, I left Rosario Beach and went out to Deception Island. Um, I don't know how far that is. I'm guessing several thousand feet from the from the beach to the island um, I'm just gonna deception island so yes I paddled out to deception island um, Washington not Antarctica apparently there's one in Antarctica um, images yep deception island um, that is that is the one I paddled out to it is fucking beautiful over there absolutely gorgeous in fact I have some audio from uh, an inlet where I, I paddled into of Deception Island. So let's take a listen. Hello everybody. I am on my first ever excursion on my kayak right now. Um, it is about 70 odd degrees, I would have to guess, um, out here on Puget Sound. That's right, I did not go for a lake on my first excursion. I went for um, pretty much open water. <laughs> uh, I am currently next to a gorgeous island. Um, there's a little inlet here that I'm gonna try to kind of coast into here, um, just for some some safety in terms of um, water stillness. Uh, it's kind of hard to see because I'm wearing sunglasses and it's dark in here, but I'm just gonna, just gonna coast right on in here. And uh, there we go, oh, hello. I just scared um, some turns. Or, I don't know what those were. I'm trying not to sell in. Ah, uh, bird poop. Uh, okay. Wow. What a spot. Holy crap. So, yeah, I've been kayaking for a couple hours. It's 1.30, I've been doing it for two and a half hours. Um, it is fucking crazy cool in here. Holy shit. What a spot. This is, um... This is amazing. I'm gonna take some pictures of this because my God, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Oh, it's um, Rocky Inlet. God, I got sunscreen in my eye and it burns like a son of a bitch. Ow. I need some eye drops or something later, but it is incredibly cool. So yeah, um, I would say my first kayaking excursion has been very successful. Um, I can't say for certain that it was 100% successful because I haven't made it back to shore yet. Um, this is so fucking cool. Oh, bald eagle. That's what that was. Wow, that was amazing. Um, God, this is this whole thing reeks of um, like Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer and there's some really cool trees up there. I'm just trying to keep myself from bumping into the, the walls of this um, uh, rock face area it is very 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 cool in here holy crap um i know i'm not saying much of importance but it is so fucking cool in here the rocks are jagged the plant life is overhanging it's shaded 
I haven't seen much in the way of really cool wildlife today. A lot of really interesting birds. I see some spider webs out there just kind of glittering in the sunlight. Like gossamer strands. Um, but my inflatable kayak is holding up incredibly well. Uh, no significant loss in pressure, which is good. Um, I have scraped along some rocks, but I couldn't even see any damage to the tarpaulin lining, let alone the inflatables within. It is very cool, and its three-chamber system means that if one of them does go, I'll have two more, um, which will hopefully be enough to get me back safely to the beach. So yeah, I just wanted to do, record some audio out here. Um, and I'm just gonna shut up for a second and let you guys listen to some nature sounds. Really hoping that came through. Wow, absolutely incredible. I'm gonna take so many pictures of this thing. Un freaking believable. The flowers, my god, this is absolutely worth the journey. Whew. I wish you guys could be here. You'll see it though, if you go on my Instagram at Going Up a Catch, you'll see these amazing pictures. I'm gonna fill up my phone's battery with this, or memory card, whatever, you know what I mean. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Overall, I think the trip was an enormous success. Um, I got a little bit of sun like on the top of my skull and a bit on the back of my neck. My arms are a little pink, but not too bad. Um, I am exhausted because I was paddling for about two hours. I would say almost nonstop, so it was a really decent workout. Came home, cleaned the kayak, got all the salt water off, packed it all away. Um, then I just did a whole bunch of other stuff today. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the day. Today is finished. I did it. Um, but it was a wonderful adventure and while I can battle the current and deal with the salt air I do look forward to coasting in my inflatable boat along the crystal clear smooth glass waters of some of the marvelous alpine lakes that we have in the state of Washington don't know which lake it's going to be next my money is on Diablo but I think it's fitting that my maiden voyage for for this boat which needs a name if you would like to put a name in for consideration for my inflatable kayak, please send me an email at goingcast.gmail.com. I'm pretty open, um, but it needs a name. I got to name this boat. I've named my car. Um, I need to name this boat. So we got we to christen it with something. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful little boat. I absolutely love it. Does weigh a ton. It weighs about 30 pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're hiking with that on your back, like I'm not, I'm not really used to it yet. I can squat uh, like 100 pounds, no problem. Um, and I could probably squat way more, but I only can go up to 100 pounds. Uh, but it's like, I don't know what it is, but it's it's a hefty beast. I think it's like, it's bulky. So maybe that makes the difference. I'm not entirely sure, but it worked like a dream and I cannot wait to do it again. It was so much fun. So much fun. Just to be able to inflate a boat and then I'm just on the water. I didn't have to rent it from anybody. I didn't have to talk to anybody. I just did it and it was wonderful. And I cannot recommend it enough. Just remember the three tenants. Pack in, pack out. Make sure you're not damaging the local ecosystem. And whatever the other one was. Um, leave with nothing but memories. Leave it all in. Leave it all there. That's, that's, that's what we want to really focus on. We want to lay down these proper exploratory techniques. So that nature is beautiful for generations to come. And I know the world is about to explode. 
but we can still do our part. Oh, man. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Chapter 7. The Home Under the Ground. One of the first things Peter did the next day was to measure Wendy and John and Michael for hollow trees. Hook, you'll remember, had sneered at the boys for thinking they needed a tree apiece. But it was this but it, this was ignorance, for unless your tree fitted you, it was difficult to go up and down. No two of the boys were quite the same size. Once you fitted, you drew in your breath at the top, and down you went at exactly the right speed. While to ascend, you drew in and let out alternately, so wriggled up. Of course, when you have mastered the action, you're able to do these things without thinking of them. And nothing can be more graceful than sliding up and down a hollow tree. But you mu- you simply must fit. In Peter Measures, page 111, you for your tree as carefully as for a suit of clothes, the only difference being that your clothes are made to fit you, while you have to be made to fit the tree. Usually it is done quite easily, as by your wearing too many garments or too few, but if you are bumpy in awkward places, or the only available tree is in odd shape, Peter does some things to you, and after that you fit. What does he do? God, what the fuck are Peter's powers? What is this goddamn book? Peter is a twisted fiend. A fiend, I say. All right, well, he does something to you. Once you fit, great care must be taken to go on fitting. And this, as Wendy was to discover um, to her delight, keeps a whole family in perfect condition. Good God. Wendy and Michael fitted their trees at first try, but John had to be altered a little. Okay, let's see if they tell us how they altered John. After a few days' practice, they could go up and down as gaily as buckets in a well. And how ardently they grew to love their homes under the ground, especially Wendy. It consisted of one large room, as all houses should do, with a floor in which you could dig if you wanted to go fishing. And in this floor grew stout mushrooms of a charming color, which were used as stools. A never tree tried hard to grow in the center of the room, but every morning they sawed the trunk through, level with the floor. By tea time, it was always about two feet high, and they put a door on top of it, uh, thus the whole um, the whole thus becoming a table. As soon as they cleared away, they sawed off the trunk again, and thus there was more room to play. There was an enormous fireplace, which um, there was an enormous fireplace, which was in almost any part of the room uh, where you cared to light it. And across this, Wendy stretched strings made from fiber, for which she suspended her washings. The bed was tiled, tilted against the wall by day and let down at 6.30 when it was filled nearly half the room. All the boys except Michael slept in it, lying like sardines in a tin. There was a strict rule against turning round until one gave the signal, when they all turned at once. Michael should have been used to, um, should have used it also, but Wendy would have a baby, and he was the littlest, and you know what women are, and the short and the long of it is that he was hung up in a basket. I'm just gonna blow past the sexism of that. It was rough and simple, and not unlike what baby bears would have made of an underground house in the same circumstance. But there was one recess in the wall, no larger than a birdcage, which was the private apartment of Tinkerbell, page 113. It could be shut off from the rest of the house by a tiny curtain, which Tink, who was most fastidious, always kept drawn when dressing or undressing. No woman, however large, could have had a more exquisite boudoir and bedchamber combined. I believe it is boudoir. Bodior. I can't speak French. Anyway, the couch, as she has always called it, was a genuine queen mab with club legs, and she varied the bedspreads according to what fruit blossom was in season. Her mirror was a puss in boots, of which there are now only three unshipped known to fairy dealers. The washstand was pie crust and reversible. The chest of drawers was an authentic charming the sixth, 
and the carpet and the rugs of the best the early period of Marjorie and Robin. There was a chandelier from Tiddlywinks uh, for the look of the things, but of course, she lit the residence herself. Tink was very contemptuous of the rest of the house, as indeed perhaps inevitable, and her chamber, though beautiful, looked rather conceited, having the appearance of a nose permanently turned up. <laughs> I suppose it is all especially entrancing, Noendi, because of those rampageous boys, rampageous boys, of hers, page 114, gave her so much to do. Really, there was whole weeks when, except perhaps with a stocking in the evening, she was never above ground. The cooking, I can tell you, kept her nose to the pot. Their chief foods was roasted breadfruits, yams, coconuts, baked pig, mammy apples, tapa rolls, bananas, washed down with calabashes of popo, but you never knew whether it, um, whether there would be a real meal or just make-believe. It all depended upon Peter's whim. He could eat, really eat, if it was part of a game, but he could not slodge, or he could not stodge just to feel stodgy which is what most children like better than anything, the next best thing being to talk about it. Make-believe was so real to him that during a meal, if you could see him getting rounder, um, if uh, during a meal, uh, you could, meal of it, you could see him getting rounder. Wow. That's a, that's a power. God damn it, Peter. So he can believe something so hard, it has physical ramifications on his being. Jesus Christ. Um, of course, it was trying. So you simply had to follow his lead, and if you could prove to him that you were getting loose of uh, for your tree, he'd let you stodge. Wendy's favorite time for so uh, favorite time for sewing and darning was after they had all gone to bed. Uh, then, as she expressed it, she had a breathing time for herself, and she occupied it in making new things for them and putting double pieces, page on her fifteen, on her knees, for they were all more frightfully hard on their knees. Okay, so they're she's like patching up clothes and stuff. Gotcha. When she sat down to a basket full of their stockings every heel with a hole in it she would fling up her arms and exclaim oh dear I am sure I sometimes think splint spinsters are to be envied her face beamed when she exclaimed this you remember about her pet wolf no no I don't remember about her pet wolf Wendy has a pet wolf since when why does what alright well it soon it very soon discovered that she had come to the island and it, oh and like the original thing when they discovered when they were talking about Neverland I guess they talked about her having a wolf anyway well it very soon discovered that she had come to the island and it found her out and they just ran into each other's arms after that it followed her, her about everywhere as time wore on did um, as time wore on did she think much about the beloved parents she had left behind her this was a difficult question because it's quite impossible to say how time does wear on in the Neverland where it is calculated by moons and suns, and there are ever so many more of them than on the mainland. But I'm afraid that Wendy did not really worry about her father and mother. She was absolutely confident that they would always keep the window open for her to fly back by, and this gave uh, gave her complete ease of mind. What did disturb her at times, apparently, John and was that John remembered his parents vaguely only as people he had only known once, and Michael was quite willing to believe that she was really his mother. These things scared her a little. And nobly anxious to do her duty, she tried to fix the old life in their minds by setting them examination papers on it, as like as possible the ones she used to do in school. The other boys thought this awfully interesting and insisted on enjoying, and they made slates for themselves and sat around the table writing and thinking hard about the questions she had written on another slate and passed round. They were the most ordinary questions. What is the color of mother's eyes? Which is taller, father or mother? Was mother blonde or brunette? Answer all three questions if possible. A. Write an essay of no less than 40 words on how I spent my last holidays. Or the characters of father and mother compared. Only one of these to be attempted. Or 1. Describe mother's laugh. 2. Describe father's laugh. 3. Describe mother's party dress. 4. Describe the kennel and its inmate. 
They were just everyday questions like these, Petra Hunter Sergeant When you could not answer them, you were told to make a cross. And it was really dreadful what number of crosses ever um, even John made. Of course, the only boy who replied to every question was slightly, and no one could have been more hopeful of coming out first, but his answers were perfectly ridiculous, and he really came out last, a melancholy thing. Peter did not compete. For one thing, he despised all mothers except Wendy. For another, he was the only boy on the island who could neither write nor spell, not the smallest word. He was, a, he was above all that sort of thing. By the way, the questions were all written in past tense. What was the color of mother's eyes and so on? Wendy, you see, had been forgetting too. Adventures, of course, as we shall see, were of a daily occurrence. But about this time, Peter invented, with Wendy's help, a new game that fascinated him enormously, until suddenly he had no more interest in it, which, as you have been told, was what always happened with his games. It consisted of pretending not to have adventures, and doing the sort of thing John and Pedro Michael had been doing all their lives, sitting on stools, flinging balls into the air, pushing each other, going out for walks, and coming back without having killed so much as a grizzly. To, Peter, uh, to see Peter do nothing on a stool was a great sight. He could not help look solemn at such times. To sit still seemed to him a, such a comic thing to do. He boasted that he had, gone, uh, he had gone a walk for the good of his health. For several sons, these were the most novel of adventures of all adventures to him. And John and Michael had pretended to be delighted also. Otherwise, he would have treated them severely. Why? God. So Peter is just a, such a fucking... Like, uh, what's the word? He is... A cruel taskmaster. That's that's the way. That's the word I wanted. Wow, this is there's like no fucking dialogue in this book. It is just it is just kind of or in this chapter, I guess. It's just fucking blam paragraph. Here we go. <gasps> he often went out alone, and when he came back, you were never absolutely certain whether he had had an adventure or not. He might have forgotten it so completely that he said nothing about it. And then when you went out, you found the body. And on the other hand, he might say a great deal about it, and yet you could not find the body. Sometimes he came home with his head bandaged, and Wendy cooed over him. Um, cooed over him and bathed him in luke, uh, bathed it in lukewarm water while he told a dazzling tale. But she was never quite sure, you know. They were, page 119, however, there were, however, many adventures which she knew to be true because she was in them herself. And there were still more that were at least partly true for all the boys were in them, for uh, uh, the other boys were in them, and said they were wholly true. To describe them all would require a book as large as the an English Latin language, English dictionary. English, Latin, Latin, English Dictionary. And the most we can do is to give one as a specimen for an average hour on the island. The difficulty is which one to choose. Should we take the brush with the indigenous people at Slightly Gulch? It was a sanguinary affair, especially interesting, as showing one of Peter's peculiarities, which was that in the middle of a fight, he would suddenly change sides. At the Gulch, when victory was still in the balance, sometimes leaning this way and sometimes that, he called out, I'm indigenous today. What are you, Tootles? Tootles answered, Indigenous. What are you, Nibs? And Nibs said, Indigenous. What are you, twins? And so on. And they were all indigenous. And of course, this would have ended the fight had not the real indigenous people, fascinated by Peter's methods, agreed to be lost boards for that once. And so they all went at it again more fiercely than ever. God damn it. Why is everybody so silly and stupid? Maybe it's because it's a silly and stupid book. No, it's not a stupid book. It's a silly book. I don't, I don't think it's stupid. I think it's actually quite well written, personally. The extraordinary upshot of this adventure was, but we have not decided yet that this is the adventure we are to narrate. Perhaps a better one would be the night attack by the indigenous people on a house under the ground where several of them st uh, stuck in the hollow trees and had to be pulled out like corks. Or we might tell of how Peter saved Tiger Lily's life in the Mermaid Lagoon and so made her his ally. 
Or we could tell that the cake the pirates cooked so that the boys might eat it and perish. And now they placed it in one cunning spot after another, but always Wendy snatched it from the hands of her children, so that in time it lost its succulence and became as hard as a stone and was used as a missile, and Hook fell over in the dark. Or suppose we tell of the birds that were Peter's friends, particularly of the never bird that built in a tree overhanging the lagoon, and how the nest fell into the water, and still the bird sat on her eggs, and Peter gave the orders that she was not to be disturbed. That is a pretty story, and the end shows how grateful a bird can be. But if we tell it, we must also tell, page 121, the whole adventure of the lagoon, which would, of course, be telling two adventures rather than just one. A shorter adventure, and quite as exciting, was Tinkerbell's attempt with the help of some street fairies. Sure. Street fairies! Don't fuck with them. These street fairies will end you. To have the sleeping Wendy conveyed on a great floating leaf to the mainland. Fortunately, the leaf gave way, and Wendy woke, thinking it was bath time, and swam back. Or again, we might choose Peter's defiance of the lions. When he drew a circle round him on the ground with another arrow and defied them to cross it, though he waited for hours with the other boys and Wendy looking up breathlessly from the trees, not one of them dared to accept his challenge. Which of these adventures shall we choose? Best way we'll, uh, the best way will be to toss for it. I have tossed, and the lagoon is won. This almost makes one wish that the gulch or the cake or tinks leaf had won. Of course, I could do it again and make the best of three. However, perhaps, fairness, perhaps fairest to stick to the lagoon. This book is quite interesting. I don't think I've ever read a book with such a um, kind of strong narrator character. I mean, I like to think that I'm a strong narrator character in like any book. But this book, it's like, this narrator is like here and present. I mean, I suppose in Winnie the Pooh, when it's literally stories being told to Christopher Robin from a, an older figure. I don't think it's ever specified, but I presume a parent would be would be most sense-making. Um, and I suppose it's unspecified, so it could be either parent um, or any parent reading uh, the stories to their children. So that makes sense. Um, so in those, in those books where there's literal narration, sure. But in this one, the narrator has yet to be identified. It's, I guess it's the author, you know? So it's it's interesting to have this much interaction with the um with the author where he's like what what adventure are we gonna talk about fuck it I'll flip this coin I flipped the lagoon won I guess we could go again fuck uh, let's just do the lagoon well, we'll do the lagoon and indeed the next chapter is the lagoon but interesting writing style J M Barry I'd almost be curious to read other books you've written but let's finish this one first. the hardest things for a TV show to do is to nail the pilot. It is really, it's really hard. You have to set up your world, your characters, your story. Everything about what the show is needs to be established in the pilot. And some shows have the benefit of having like an hour-long pilot. Some shows take uh, their early story premise and stretch it over the course of two episodes and just because um, it is more than one episode doesn't mean it isn't like the first story you know what I mean so like some shows will get you in episode one like Game of Thrones that had an excellent pilot that set up all of its characters it set up all of its players it established the world and you know what the fuck the show is about in episode one 
Avatar The Last Airbender does the same thing. Friends on some, you know, level, you, you learn about the characters in the pilot of Friends. And so whenever I start a new show, I'm always curious to see if it can hook me in the pilot. And as I just talked about, it's a difficult thing to do. There's so much that needs to be set up in that episode. So the latest show for my scrutiny is She-Ra, the Princesses of Power. Um, I think it's She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, actually. Uh, let me confirm that. Yes, and the Princesses of Power. So this show has five seasons and only five seasons. The fifth season just came out. Um... Oh, God. Like, a week ago? Or it's about to come out? It hasn't come out yet. Um, at the time of recording this. At the time of you guys hearing this, it came out this past Friday. Um, and I have always been curious about the show. Because what drives shows for me, and my desire to see them, like, I am so character-focused that if a show doesn't have good characters, I don't care about it. Like, Avatar Last Airbender had wonderful characters. Zuko has one of the greatest redemption arcs of television. It's incredible. Katara is so strong, and Aang becomes so confident, and Sokka does things. Um, so it's, it's all about the characters. If you don't have good characters in your show, I don't care about it. It's, it's all about the characters. And She-Ra is... Uh, this version of She-Ra was created by Noelle Stevenson, who um, I first heard about on Critical Role... I think she showed up in season one. Pretty sure she was in season one. Um, and she was adorable. And uh, she is the driving force behind um, she Ra and the Princesses of Power. Creator, showrunner, and executive producer. She was the showrunner throughout the entire run of the show. So you know that it's going to have solid voice throughout the entire thing. So anyway, this is, a this is a long roundabout thing of me going, Princesses of Power is pretty good. Now, I started watching it and it had a character in there. I don't, I'm not gonna be specific because I don't wanna influence people's decisions, but they had a character in there that I was confident I was not going to enjoy. I was like, oh God, it's this type of thing. But by the end of the first two episodes, it turns that character around and they become likable. It, it happened, it was like a flick of the switch. They went from being annoying and kind of like meh to just awesome, just like that. It happened so quickly. And I think what I'm really going to enjoy about this show is the, first of all, this show is uh, just absolutely saturated with um, LGBT representation. The uh, Noelle Stevenson uh, said somewhere, I can't remember where, but she said it somewhere, that it's like, unless said, otherwise every character in the show is gay. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, and one of the great things about the show, I think, um, I haven't confirmed it yet, but I'm predicting this. Uh, so She-Ra and, uh, her best friend, Katra, um, those are the primary protagonists and antagonists. So she was best friends with this person, and then, uh, She-Ra left, uh, the Horde to join the, the, the peaceful-loving satyr people with horses and unicorns and magic and shit. Um, and Catra feels like super betrayed. So I'm like, that relationship should be really interesting to explore throughout the course of the show. Unfortunately, it's not a really long show. As of season four, there are only 39 episodes. Season five has another number of episodes. I don't know exactly how many. Um, it looks like... How many episodes in season five? Are you going to tell me? 
Are you not gonna tell me? You're not gonna tell me. Probably, let's say 10. We'll just say 10. So like 50 episodes of shows. That's like two seasons of any other show. So it's probably a pretty quick watch, which I'm looking forward to. But my initial instinct with She-Ra is that it's gonna be a good show. I like the animation a lot. I think the the characterization is really strong. There are a couple of moments that made me laugh out loud. Uh, the music's really good. It, it feels 80s-ish. Looking at it and listening to it, it does feel like it could have come out in the 80s. It just looks better than those shows do. Um, and I think, unlike um, Voltron, I'm pretty sure this one is like super story-driven. And Voltron lost its way in the weeds and had far too many seasons to tell not that much story. So it'll be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. Um, but so far, I think I can recommend the first two episodes. You gotta, you gotta finish it though, because much like Gravity Falls, the ending's the best bit. So you gotta kind of stick with it. Or the ending of the first two episodes. Um, I will say, you gotta, you gotta see the whole thing before you pass judgment. Because if I went off of my... I stopped like halfway through the second episode for like a week and then I just came back and finished it today. Had I went with my first instinct, I would not have recommended the show. But I'm so glad I finished it because now I would. So far. I mean, I don't know. I have to finish it. But early instincts are good. They're positive. Plus it's on Netflix and I pay for Netflix so it's basically free so I'm going to watch it. Anyway, just wanted to talk about it for a little bit. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Just real quick at the end here, I wanted to do a follow-up on um, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I'm almost done with season one at the time of recording this, and I think the show is excellent. I know we talked about the pilot earlier on, and I left that pretty much alone because it, it went in-depth with the um, discussion of the functionality of the pilot, but the show has progressed pretty steadily. And some of the themes of the show are incredibly heavy. There's a lot of really strong betrayal themes. There's some abandonment issues. There's a, uh, characters with a lot of abuse in their backgrounds. Um, a lot of like self-identity questions. Um, the balance of powers. Uh, sacrificing your happiness for the greater good. Like some really, really solid themes in the show. And season five came out uh, a little while ago, which I'm pretty sure I've already mentioned. So I'm hopeful that I can finish watching the show um, just in its entirety now that it's done. But I would recommend it quite highly. Uh, it's ironic that the show I used to benchmark, compare against uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is also now out on Netflix again. Um, in my opinion, Avatar is my number one spot. It's the best animated show I've ever seen. And it's, it's tough when shows are put up against it because how could they compare... And I think She-Ra, I don't want to say it too soon because there is still the vast majority of the show to see left, but so far, it's a very, very strong first season. If anything, I think it's a, of a lighter scale than Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, the entire threat of the world is, is, the, is the plot of Avatar The Last Airbender, and some of those emotional beats have yet to be replicated in She-Ra. Uh, but I think it is a, a very solid show, and... Um, I, I think it is just as good, if not a little better, than like Gravity Falls. I think I've enjoyed this show a lot quicker than I did Gravity Falls. I also enjoy the fact that the seasons are short. Like, uh, it's 13 episodes, 7 episodes, 6 episodes, 13 to 13. Like, they're really short seasons. 
um, which is nice. You can almost play through it in a whole weekend. So, good job, Shira. I cannot wait to see where this ride goes next. But let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So I got this fun new new fan, which you probably hear right now. But check this out. Shut that shit off with my fancy fan remote. Therefore, no fan noises. Except now I can turn it on and off without getting up. It also has a built-in ionizer, so my air is super clean and fresh. And boy, can I sense the difference. Also, where we last left off in this fucking book, Wendy had been killed by some fucking lost boys. They shot her ass fucking dead. Anyway, chapter six, The Little House. The villagers of Little Hangleton still called it The Little House. No, I'm just just kidding. I'm buying time while I pour myself a tiny cup of tea because I have my espresso mug down here. Okay. Foolish Tootles was standing like a conqueror over Wendy's body when the other boys sprang armed from the trees. You are too late, he cried proudly. I have shot the Wendy. Peter will be so pleased with me. Overhead, Tinkerbell shouted, silly ass, and darted into hiding. The others did not hear her. They had crowded round Wendy, and as they looked, a terrible silence fell upon the wood. If Wendy's heart had been beating, they would have all heard it. Slightly was the first to speak. This is no bird, he said in a scared voice. I think it must be a lady. A lady, said Tootles, and fell a-trembling, page 95. So I love the, I love reading the page numbers. I might cut, I might cut that bit. I don't know. I feel like I'm too I'm too deep into it now to stop, so maybe I will just kind of keep going, just for the sake of consistency. Fuck it, who cares? And we have killed her, Nib said hoarsely. They all whipped off their caps. Now I see, Curly said. Peter was bringing her to us. He threw himself sorrowfully onto the ground. A lady to take care of us at last, said one of the twins. And you have killed her. They were sorry for him, but sorry for themselves. And when he took a step nearer uh, them, they turned from him. Toodle's face was very white. But there was a dignity about him now that had never been there before. I did it, he said, reflecting. When ladies used to come to me in dreams, I said, pretty mother, pretty mother. But when at last she really came, I shot her. And he slowly moved away. Don't go, they called in pity. I must, he answered, shaking. I am so afraid of Peter. It was at this tragic moment that they heard the sound which made the heart of every one of them rise in their mouth. They heard Peter crow. Oh, how did he do it? He was like... Something like that. That's what that's what Peter said, right? Who cares? Page 96. Peter! They cried, for it was always thus that he signaled his return. Hider! They whispered and gathered hastily around Wendy, but Tootles stood aloof. Again came that ringing crow, and Peter dropped in front of them. Greetings, boys, he cried. Mechanically, they saluted, and then again was silence. He frowned. I am back, he said hotly. Why do you not cheer? They opened their mouths, but the cheers would not come. He overlooked it in his haste to tell of the glorious tidings. Great news, boys, he cried. I have brought at last a mother for you all. Still no sound except a little thud from Tootles as he dropped to his knees. Have you not seen her? Asked Peter, becoming troubled. She flew this way. Ah, me, one voice said, and another said, Oh, mournful day. Tootles rose. Peter, he cried. Or said quietly, I will show you to her. And when the others would, page 97, still have hidden her, he said, Back, twins, let Peter see. They all stood back and let him see, and after he had looked for a little time, he did not know what to do next. She is dead, he said uncomfortably. Perhaps she is frightened at being dead. 
He thought of hopping off in a comic sort of way till he was out of sight of her, and then never going near the spot anymore. They would all have been glad to follow if he had done this. But there was the arrow. He took it from her heart and faced his band. Whose arrow? Mine, Peter's, said Toodles on his knees. Oh, dastard hand, said Peter, and he raised the arrow to use it as a dagger. Toodles did not flinch. He bared his breast. Strike, Peter, he said firmly. Strike true. Twice did Peter raise the arrow and twice did his hand fall. I cannot strike, he said with awe. There was something that stays my hand. All of them looked at, um, all looked at him in wonder, save Nibs, who fortunately looked at Wendy, page 98. It is she, he cried. The Wendy lady, see her arm. Wonderful to relate, Wendy had raised her arm. Nibs bent over her and listened reverently. I think she said, poor Tootles, he whispered. She lives, said Peter briefly. Uh, slightly cried instantly. The Wendy lady lives. Peter knelt beside her and found his button. You remember she had put it on a chain that she wore around her neck. See, he said, the arrow struck against this. It is the kiss I gave her. It has saved her life. I remember her kisses, slightly imposed quickly. Let me see it. Ah, yeah, that's a kiss. Peter did not hear him. He was begging Wendy to get better quickly so that he could show her the mermaids. Of course, she could not answer yet, still being frightfully in, um, still being in a frightful faint. But from overhead came a wailing note. Listen to Tink, said Curly. She's crying because the Wendy lives. They then had to tell Peter of Tink's crime, page 99, and almost never had they seen him look so stern. Listen, Tinkerbell, he cried. I am your friend no more. Be gone from me forever. She flew under his shoulder and pleaded, but he brushed her off. Not until Wendy again raised her arm did he relent sufficiently to say, well, not forever, but for a whole week. Do you think Tinkerbell was grateful for Wendy raising her arm? Oh dear, no, never wanted to pinch her so much. Fairies are indeed strange, and Peter, who understood them best, often cuffed them. But what to do with Wendy in her present delicate state of health? Let's, let us carry her down into the house, Curly suggested. Aye, said Slightly, that is what one does with ladies. No, no, said Peter, you must not touch her. It would not be sufficiently respectful. That, said Slightly, is what I was thinking. But if she lies there, said Toodles, she will die. Page 100. Aye, she will die, Slightly admitted. There's no way out. Yes, there is, cried Peter. Let us build a little house round her. Uh, they were all delighted. Quick, he ordered them. Bring me each of your best of what we have. Get our house, be sharp. In a moment, they were as busy as tailors the night before a wedding. What fucking poor planning tailor doesn't have that shit ready to go earlier than the night before the fucking wedding? Come on. They scurried this way and that down for bedding, up for firewood, and while they were at it, who should appear but John and Michael? As they dragged along the ground, they fell asleep standing, stopped, woke up, moved another step, and slept again. John, John, Michael would cry. Wake up, where is Nana and John and Mother? And John would rub his eyes and mutter, It is true, we did fly. You may be sure that they were very relieved to find Peter. Hello, Peter, they said. Hello, said Peter amicably. Though he had quite forgotten them. He was very busy at the moment measuring Wendy with page 101, his feet, to see how large a house she would need. Of course, he meant to leave room for chairs and tables. John and Michael watched him. Is Wendy asleep? They asked. Yep. John, Michael proposed. Let us wake her and get her to make supper for us. What a little bastard. But as he had said it, some of the other boys rushed on carrying branches uh, for the building of a house. Look at them, he cried. Curly, Peter said in his most captainy voice. See that these boys help in the building of the house. Aye, sir. Build a house, exclaimed John. For the Wendy, said Curly. For Wendy, John said a guess. Well, she's only a girl. That, explained Curly, is why we are her servants. You, Wendy's servants. Yes, said Peter. And you also, away with them. The astounded brothers were dragged away, page 102, to hack and hew and carry. Chairs and a fender first, Peter ordered. Then we shall build a house round them. Aye, said Slightly. That is how our house is built. It all comes back to me. 
Peter thought of everything. Slyly, he ordered, fetch a doctor. Aye, aye, said Slyly, once into his beard scratching his head. But he knew Peter must be obeyed and returned in a moment, wearing John's hat and looking solemn. Please, sir, Peter said, going to him. Are you a doctor? The difference between him and the other boys at such a time was that they knew it was make-believe, while to him make-believe and true were the exact same thing. This sometimes troubled them, as when they had to make-believe that they had had their dinners. Damn! That's, that's, Peter is so fucking insane that he's like, we've had dinner, haven't we? And the boys go, well, we haven't, but, yeah, yeah, Peter, we're, we're well fed. Ha 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 ha. God, I'm so hungry. That's crazy. Um, if they broke down in their make-believe, he wrapped them on the knuckles. So Peter beat them when they failed to make-believe. Holy shit. Peter is an absolute monster. Anyway. Yes, my little man. Anxiously replied slightly, who had chapped knuckles. God damn. Please, sir, Peter explained. A lady lies very ill. Page 103. She was lying at their feet, but slightly had the sense not to see her. Tut tut, he said. Where does she, or where does she lie? In yonder glade. I will put a glass thing in her mouth, said slightly. And he made believe to do it while Peter waited. It was an anxious moment when the glass thing was withdrawn. How is she? inquired Peter. Tut tut tut, said slightly. This has cured her. I am glad, Peter cried. I will call again in the evening, said slightly. Give her a beef tea out of a cup with a spout in it. And after he had returned the hat to John, he blew uh, big breaths, which was his habit of escaping from difficulty. In the meantime, the wood had been alive with the sound of axes, almost everything needed uh, for a cozy dwelling already laid at Wendy's feet. If only we knew, said one, the kind of house she likes best. Peter, shouted another. She, mo she moves in her sleep. Yes, page 104. Her mouth opens, cried a third, looking respectfully into it. Ugh. Oh, lovely. Ugh. Perhaps she's going to sing in her sleep, said Peter. Wendy, sing the kind of house you would like to have. Immediately, without opening her eyes, Wendy began to sing. I wish I had a pretty house, the littlest ever seen, with funny little red walls and a roof of mossy green. They gurgled with joy at this, for by far, for, or by the greatest good luck, the branches had, uh, they'd been brought with sticky with red sap, and all around the ground was carpeted with moss. As they rattled up the little house, they broke into song themselves. We've built the little walls and roof and made a lovely door, so tell us, Mother Wendy, what are you wanting more? To this, she answered rather greedily, Oh, really, next I think I'll have gay windows all about, with roses peeping in, you know, when babies peeping out. Jesus Christ, Wendy, you're fucking, like, eleven. How about you chilling on the old baby front? Oh, no. This cup is very small. Lovely and caffeinated, which is good, because I have many things I need to do today, and it's 6.30 at night. Many, many things. Um, page 105. With a blow of their fists, they made windows, and large yellow leaves were the blinds. But roses? Roses! cried Peter Stanley. Quickly, they made believe to grow the loveliest roses up the wall. Babies? To prevent Peter ordering babies, they hurried into song again. <laughs> we've made the roses peeping out. The babes are at the door. We cannot make ourselves, you know, because we've been made before. Peter, seeing this to be a good idea, at once pretended that it was his own. The house was quite beautiful, and no doubt Wendy was very cozy within, though of course they could no longer see her. Peter strode up and down, ordering finishing touches. Nothing escaped his eagle eye. Just when it seemed absolutely finished, there was no knocker at the door, he said. They were very ashamed, but Toodles gave the sole of his shoe, and it made an excellent knocker. Page 106. Absolutely finished now, they thought. Not a bit of it. There's no chimney, Peter said. We must have a chimney. 
Certainly does need a chin, he said John importantly. They gave, gave Peter an idea. He snatched the hat off of John's head and knocked out the bottom, put the hat on the roof. The little house was so pleased to have such a capital chimney that, as if to say thank you, smoke immediately began to come out of the hat. Now, are they imagining it? I guess it's Neverland, so we're just gonna kinda have to be like, make believe! So, who gives a fuck? I'm gonna say yes, smoke does come out of the hat, because it's fucking magic! Who cares? Now, really and truly, it was finished. Nothing remained to do but to knock. All look your best, Peter warned them. First impressions are awfully important. He was glad no one asked him what first impressions were. They were all too busy uh, looking at their best. He knocked politely, and now the wood was as still as the children. Not a sound to be heard except from Tinkerbell, who was watching from a ranch and openly sneering. What the boys wondering was, would anyone answer the knock? If a lady, um, if a lady, what would she be like? Page 107. The door opened and a lady came out. It was Wendy. They all whipped off their hats. She looked properly surprised. And this was just how they hoped she would look. Where am I? She said. Of course, slightly was the first to get his words in. Wendy, lady, he said rapidly. For you, we built this house. Oh, say you're pleased, cried Nibs. Lovely, darling house, Wendy said. And they were the very words they had hoped she would say. And we are your children, cried the twins. They all went on their knees, holding out their arms and cried, Oh, Wendy, lady, be our mother. Aren't I? Wendy said, all shining. Of course, it's frightfully fascinating. But you see, I am only a little girl. I have no real experience. That doesn't matter, said Peter. As if he were the only person present who knew all about it, though he was really the one who knew the least. What we need is just a nice motherly person. Page 108. Oh dear, cried Wendy. You see, I feel that's exactly what I am. It is, it is, they all cried. We saw it at once. Very well, she said. I will do my best. Come inside at once, you naughty children. I'm sure your feet are damp. Before I put you to bed, I have just, um, I have just time to finish the story of Cinderella. In they went. I do not know how there was room for them. But you can squeeze very tight in Neverland. And it was the first of many joyous evenings they had with Wendy. By and by, she tucked them up in the great bed in the home under the trees. By herself, slept that night in the little house. And Peter kept watch outside with drawn sword, for the pirates could be heard carousing far away. And the wolves were on the prowl. The little house looked so cozy and safe in the darkness, with the bright light showing through the blinds, and a chimney smoking beautifully, and Peter standing on guard. After a time, he fell asleep, and some unsteady fairies had to climb over him on their way home from an page 109 orgy any of the other boys obstructing the fairy path at night would have been mischiefed but they just tweaked Peter's nose and passed on after a time he fell asleep and some unsteady fairies had to climb over him on their way home from an orgy that is what it says these fairies these fairies these fairies just fucked and not only did they fuck these fairies fucked in a massive dog pile just fairy on top of fairy on top of fairy. Whose hand is whose, you don't know. But it was a fairy orgy. That is canon. That is canon. I don't remember that in the fucking Disney movie. Do you guys remember a fairy orgy in the Disney movie? Don't think it was there. I could be wrong, but there ain't no fucking way I am. There's no way. There's no way there was a fairy orgy in that fucking movie. And there's another uh, etching here of, wow, it actually shows the fairy orgy. I mean, it, it's mostly just them, like, carousing. Um, but there's a couple of fairies that look like they're just making out. Um, so, yeah. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? Fair, ten. Eleven, maybe? Eleven, twelve. There's twelve fairies. It's a twelve fairy orgy. Fuck me. That is quite the event. Good for them. Good for them. Way to be open, you know? That's... That is... That is not something I expected to see in this book. That's for damn certain.
sit up in my chair here while I tell you guys about this story. So last week, I talked about, you know, video games and kind of what I was playing and how the escapism of such things can allow for the happy times and these ongoing situational things. And um, thought I'd do a, a follow-up on my first ever Pokemon Nuzlocke for Alpha Sapphire. I did it. I beat the Elite Four and the Champion. Um, my final team consisted of Gyarados, uh, Latias, um, Sceptile, who the fuck else was there? Electroid, Electrode, um, Duskull, and my last dude was um, Exploud. All of them died except for the Gyarados and the Latias. Everybody died. Um, my, my whole squad. I had two remaining Pokemon there at the end. And I had three going up against Steven. So it was, it was a fucking slaughter. Um, just kind of trucking through absolute bloodbath. I like when I lost my first Pokemon, I was like, okay, I was trying to rationalize everything. I'm like, you did your job. You got me past this one, you know, and keep going. And, uh, if it wasn't for Gyarados with Ice Beam and Mega Evolution, I would have lost right there at the end and then that just would have been it because it's like at that point you know you're right there at the elite four and if you lose like the only six decent pokemon you have you're you're done you start over that's it that's game over um but i did do it everybody died except for those two so uh they will forever be immortalized uh victrist was the name of my gyarados and the latias was named randy because i was watching peacecraft when i caught him and i'm i'm big old big old griffin macro fan so yeah, that's how that went. I'm now Nuzlocking Ultra Sun, which I, which I started like when I when it came out, and I never finished it, so I just cleared the data without even looking at it. So I'm all but playing this one blind. Um, I just rolled to get my starter Pokemon, and it's that fucking seal Poplio, um, who I've named Fluckers, and I think Fluckers and I are gonna go right to the end. Um, I know this one is ridiculously easy because you don't need like HM slaves. Uh, because of the fucking remote control so you can basically kind of min max your entire squad without fear of them needing to learn flight and stuff um but i'm hopeful that since it's basically new to me um i will be able to experience uh, a decent pokemon game i will also say that the alpha sapphire nuzlocke run took me a little over 21 hours which um i think is pretty good i think it's pretty good it, pokemon games used to take me like 40 so it, you know 21 hours not too bad not too bad um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with that stuff, and let's get into some other stuff. And I think that'll do it for today, gang. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the Peter and Wendy chapters, our discussions of She-Ra, Pokemon, my kayaking adventures. Oh my god, this episode was loaded with stuff. I hope you're all staying safe out there. I know the state of Washington is working on slowly reopening. Um, I hope you guys are still maintaining social distancing, wearing the masks. Just, you know, we will we will get through this together. Um, I'm seeing some hopeful stories about the potential release date for vaccines, which would be absolutely fantastic. They're still a ways away, but as long as we maintain social distancing and just stay strong, we should be okay as a culture. And um, we'll push through this all the stronger. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you all next week. Have a good one, everyone.